0: This is a Crib Room Podcast.
1: Core Components, bringing you industry news, views and happenings.
2: 1926 is when the William Adams brand began to be part of the Caterpillar Network. The company founded by William John Adams had previously been involved in railway equipment and even whale oil. But now the William Adams brand is synonymous with Caterpillar. And this history also includes a gentleman who had a long forged career with William Adams, even buying into it in 1987, Dale Elphinstone. Dale's son Adam is now the managing director of the Elphinstone Group Australia and was added recently to the dealer agreement. We're in the crib room, and Adam Elphinstone, welcome along.
1: Thank you very much for having me along.
2: Now, today we're going to concentrate on the William Adams brand. And first up, I know it's been over 12 months, but congratulations on being Adam, added to the William Adams Caterpillar Sales and Service Agreement. It's a big achievement.
1: Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, it was, a, I guess, a oh, whole well, 39-year journey, but 20, 24 years of sort of full-time work and growing through the family. And we're certainly, certainly happy as a family to to keep that in the Elfingston, the Elfingston name and the Elfingston group and, and to be on there with the second signatory with Dale, my father. So certainly a very proud and, and pleasing moment for all of us.
2: Now, just concentrating on that William Adams brand, um, it's one that you would have had around since your childhood and now as the MD. What does it mean to you when you're at a barbecue, you're at a social event? Someone mentions the name William Adams, because no doubt it's had a very huge impact on your life.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess it... it- Certainly pricks the ears when you hear the, the name William Adams come up, and and certainly proud when people talk about it in a in a good sense. Um, I guess my, my early days were around the the Elphinstone, the Elphinstone Underground. You know, the the two days after I was born, I was taken for my first tour of the of the facilities and the factory on the way home. So I've been around the, the cat product and brand and name for a lot of years. I guess the Elphinstone or the William Adams piece really came into the Elphinstone family. Uh, when I was in about grade three, um, and we moved to Melbourne in, in grade four, and and started to run the dealerships, so I spent about six to twelve months in Melbourne, and that's really when William Adams, as a as a young child, became a a large part of my life. And and you know enjoyed my time over there, enjoyed getting to understand the business and and seeing what my father was doing in that business, and then I guess apprenticeship and worked in there, and have, have sort of been there ever since. So it's become a you know, a pretty big part of my life and probably the largest part of my life, you spend more time at work than you do in most other things. So so William Adams is a is a huge part of that. When you hear somebody somebody speak about William Adams in a in a positive light, it's certainly very pleasing and, and proud to hear.
2: Well the, the links are in New South Wales, but also obviously the heritage out of Tasmania and Victoria as well. How do you keep growing and expanding as as you mentioned, there's a very proud and loyal heritage there. how, how do you keep that
1: going? Yeah, I guess you, you've got to reinvent yourself pretty regularly. I mean, we've been around for a, a long, long time um, as a Caterpillar dealer. And and I guess you, you've got to reinvent, you've got to stay in front of the game, you've got to keep up with, with what's happening in the industry, um, providing great service, good parts, um, you know, are two pretty critical things to, to stay along with that. I mean, Vic and Taz is where we play pretty heavily. They are different states and different industries across both both regions but certainly to be able to to be able to reshape and move with the industry as the industry moves and keep up with technology innovation as that comes ahead you know new products and new machines as they release from Caterpillar trying to keep up with with all of those things as they as they progress into the industry and making sure we have the right people the right training with our right people and the right backup to support that stuff I think is is key to to keeping up with that and continuing to grow in those in those emerging industries.
2: How do you work with the brand over the two states? Because you're probably pretty odd. You you're split by a body of water, so no doubt getting uh, equipment between uh, Tasmania and Victoria can sometimes be a bit of a dilemma for you. How does that work?
1: Uh yeah, it comes with its with its challenges, and I guess with its rewards. I mean, I live in in Burnie, Tasmania. It's it's a 50-minute flight, well, until sort of COVID came in. I've spent probably the last 15-odd years traveling pretty heavily between both states. So, you know, coming back to Tasmania and being able to live in Tasmania is fantastic. The air's fresh. The, the weather's beautiful. Um, but certainly comes with a few challenges of, of logistics and transportation. Um, the little piece of water between here and Victoria is probably one of the most expensive um, pieces of shipping in the world. Um, and we and we get some challenges with that not through not just through William Adams but also through our, our Elphinstone Group manufacturing in Tasmania and and shipping out of here. It probably puts some some extra load on facilities. I mean, if if the states were joined, you probably wouldn't need the the thirteen facilities. You could probably get away with ten. Um, so it does it does add some some challenges, but it gives us a very diverse diverse territory as well. I mean, Tasmania's got a lot of mining underground mining um forestry is very heavily Victoria of course around Melbourne is really heavily construction based and a construction industry with some mining and and a little bit of forestry out in the Gippsland area so it has its synergies but it also comes with its challenges having that little bit of water in between it so that's good
2: where do you describe both states at the moment with their construction and mining sectors? Uh, I suppose uh, more so the construction around Victoria has been pretty massive. The state government spent a lot of money on things like tunnels and metro tunnels and the like recently. But where do you find both state
1: states sitting? Um, I guess starting with Tasmania. Tasmania has been uh reasonably strong for the last four to five years we've seen some growth in forestry it's had some hiccups along the way but certainly some growth in forestry mining's remained strong um, for the last four or five years certainly in the in the underground areas um, and i think the tasmanian economy has been a pretty solid base um, certainly since the back of the gfc and and some changes in government which we've been enjoying down here um victoria has certainly been a a powerhouse for us in the in the last three to four years Um, certainly with construction and construction industries strong in Melbourne from housing there's some large um, projects now happening in Melbourne with tunnel works with rail tunnels with all of those things happening around Melbourne Um, certainly in the country regions the the local shires and towns have been investing pretty heavily in in road and infrastructure work. So that's been strong. And the forestry out of Gippsland's certainly been a, a strong area there. We do have some underground gold mining and with the gold price. And, and I think the richness of some of those mines they've been performing exceptionally well. So Victoria has been for the last three to four years a, a real powerhouse. The majority of that is in, in sort of construction and infrastructure. Um, you know, we'll see where that goes with, with the latest changes in COVID and, what happens with governments and but but at the moment it's been a it's been a very positive term for the last for the last few years
2: uh, i've got a little bit of a surprise for you in just a couple of moments but before we do training and growing the industry is something that william adams has been pretty proactive in and the recent increase to the intake program it includes a mid-year intake as well is there a bit of a demand for apprentices so are we seeing a bit of a competitive market for that one i suppose not only just Willie adams but also right across the nation
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so. We're at a massive shortage of technicians and good quality technicians. I guess we see a lot of people, you know, flying fly out from Western Australia, Queensland, all over the place, um, which are pretty reasonable rates. And to keep them, um, you know, in Victoria and, and employed in Victoria, we also see ourselves... You know, one of our duties is to continue to train and feed the industry. Um, you know, we are the Caterpillar dealer. We want to train good Caterpillar technicians that that hopefully some stay with us for life and some go out in the industries to support the product out in the industries because you you need that training. We probably had a few lessons over the years with, with you know, through GFCs and things where we slowed right down on apprentice intake. Which sort of needs to be done through those through those quieter years, but in four years' time, when they're fully qualified, is when the world is, you know, up and going again, and, and now you've got a shortage of technicians because you didn't train them in the downturn. So, you know, we've learned our lesson from that a few times. We continue to even through some of the quieter years, continue to put apprentices on. We do slow that down. We probably put ten to a dozen apprentices a year in the quieter years, and upwards of you know, twenty-five to thirty in the busy years. Um, the mid-year intake was really just to spread that across the year. We we probably saw a, a need for um, more apprentices into the industry. It's hard to take on a, a large volume of 30 to 40 apprentices all at once. So if you can stagger that through the year, certainly helped us with a larger intake through that period. But we'll continue to try and continue to put apprentices on and continue to I guess get highly trained technicians into the industry because I think the industry needs them at the moment.
2: Well, Adam, we're going from one MD to another, our own MD with us through Industry Link Media and also with Worthy Parts as Michael Worthington. He's been sitting in on this first part of our chat. Surprise, Uh, here he is with a couple of different (laughs) questions for you and he's got a wealth of experience behind him when it comes to the heavy industry and also looking at construction and is a big fan of yourself and the family brand as well, but more so the cat product too. Welcome, Michael. Is your chance to talk
0: to Adam. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Good to see you, Adam. I suppose I was just listening on that first bit, and um, I've actually been over to your facility recently, about six months ago, and I was lucky enough to have the the tour of the Clayton facility there, and a couple of things that I just wanted to sort of pick your brain about, because we've been to a few of the cat dealerships uh, around Australia and around the world, and, and all of them are quite different, as you were saying, different industries, the, the dealerships are set up in a different way. Um, yep. You guys look like you stocked a lot of machinery, used machinery sales, new machinery sales around that construction-based side of things. What are the challenges um, with being a dealer and regards to having that stock? Obviously, a lot of this stock comes from overseas, so you've got to pre-order it. You've got to know your market fairly well. You've got to take a bit of a punt, I'm assuming, and you've got to buy this stuff in. It wouldn't be coming in on consignment, so you really, around those challenges, and I'm assuming that the Caterpillar dealership agreement, you you do need to buy a certain amount of machines per year to keep up with that dealership agreement.
1: Yeah, we certainly do a lot of work in forecasting on you know, what equipment we think and the, the industry is gonna need and that we will need. We do purchase that up front and hold that inventory. I um, guess if you don't have it, you can't sell it. So you, you need to have the inventory available when, when our customers need it. Um, You know, we do still pre-order a lot of stuff off off customer order and work with our customers to understand their lead times and and what they need. I think the hardest piece for us is that 70% of our volume is the smaller BCP products, so the building construction, you know, under five-ton excavators and skid steers and all of those machines, and and that's a very high-volume market, so high turnover. You know, a customer, it's like a retail industry where when you walk into a car yard, you want to be able to look at the car, you want to buy and buy it there and then and pick it up either that afternoon or, or within the week. Um, so you need to have stock of those products to stay competitive in that market. Um, it really is a, a retail-focused industry, and we see a lot of that in Victoria. Um, so that, that in turn, you, know, you need to hold a lot of stock. So um, we're probably lucky from a sense with the mining, we don't need to hold a, a huge amount of expensive mining inventory because we generally work close enough with our customers in that space to forecast and get pre-orders in the system for for when they need that Um, but yeah it's certainly a juggling act to try and keep inventory and then have enough yard space in in the middle of victoria where land's reasonably expensive to park skidsters and excavators and inventory on so it's it's a juggling act and we spend a lot of time working on that pretty hard to keep
0: our inventory where we need it I was just about to mention that as well, because I think when I was there, we we were looking at different sections of the yard that you guys had then purchased and and leveled out more ground so you could fit more stock. And and I suppose it's a good problem, but it's also logistically a nightmare trying to get more land all the time. And as you say, you're, you're running across 13 different divisions. And if you had more land space, maybe that would be, you know, maybe eight divisions all in the one area or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, certainly between our two major metro facilities, we've got about 50 to 55 acres of land that's in, you know, pretty prime real estate, especially out of Clayton. And when that was built 50 years ago, there's photos of it being just open paddock. (laughs) You know, these days it's office sets, there's a university 300 metres down the road. There's all of those challenges that come with that. And the price of property goes up and the park machines on that as inventory certainly comes with, with a few of those battles, we manage that pretty heavily. We try to share inventory across our branches and and we have thirteen facilities so we're pretty lucky that we can share that across facilities and and try and share that share that load um, but yeah, finding more land we've we've in the last few years purchased the facility next door to give us some security for future growth, um, which I think is is wise in that area. And I guess we'll continue to manage that as we as we move forward. Yeah, we're going through the same
0: thing ourselves at the moment and and land. It isn't cheap. And at the end of the day, you need to have land because you need to have the stock. And to get the land, you need to sell the stock. So it is a just a um
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it all just goes in a big and, circle. And they're not making any more land. So. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The built
2: to be rebuilt strategy for Hard Rock and Underground's a bit of an advantage. How do you envision this space to go in the future?
1: I think it's certainly a competitive advantage, and has been for many, many years. Um, I think the demand on production and production levels, with the size of machines, the ability to carry enough enough ore and tonnage. I guess to build it to be rebuilt, you need to build a heavy duty machine that has, you know, longer and extended chassis lifes and tray lifes and you can build them lighter to carry more weight, but then you can't rebuild them. So there's certainly a balancing act between the two when you get a shorter frame life that can't be rebuilt to you know the production that you can use out of the machine with tyre sizes and tire weights and and capacity of trucks and loaders. So I think there's certainly a juggling act in that to, to ensure that you've got, you know, a chassis that can stand the test of time. Um, And be rebuilt because it is a competitive advantage when you can turn a machine over two to three times and get a, you know, a 40 or 50,000 hour life out of those compared to, you know, a a midlife and and replacing the machines at 18 to 20,000 hours. So I think it's still a, I think it's still an advantage and a competitive advantage in a long term strategy, um, but one that continues to be looked at heavily by you know, Caterpillar and ourselves in our, in our underground business.
2: How does the demand for automation go with the cat products?
1: Uh, I guess getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And we, we started that journey, I guess way, way back before I was an apprentice. So, you know, I was very young, probably 14, 15 years old when that journey started in our Elphinstone underground days. And I think the automation journey, has been a, a very interesting one with now fully autonomous underground product and um, you know auto dig and all the things and now seeing that in the construction industry with with the amount of technology and and innovation that's now come out on the next gen product um, you know, 360 degree cameras 2d and 3d grade control all of the all of the innovation that's coming on that product it's it's now exponential growth like it, every new product that comes out has has 10 new features on it and You know, keeping up with that, being able to train customers, train our own employees. um, I guess have people that understand that product to be able to help and support our customers in the field is certainly is certainly a, a challenge to keep up with. But we see that we see that growing pretty heavily. I mean, you now see you know electric excavators out there, battery packs. You now see people starting to work on fully autonomous excavators and things out there to be able to work you know in the construction industry and in the next. You know, four to four to six years. I think you'll start to see a lot of that rolling through our through our industry and and the construction industry all over. And it can be a game changer if you're not at the front end of that.
2: One last one from me, Adam, and that is: what is it about the cap product that you believe sets it apart from its
1: competitors? Um, I'm not sure. There's just just one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a, a myriad of things. I think certainly the product quality and the and the Work in R&D and and technology that Caterpillar put into the base product is second to none. Certainly, the next gen product we're starting to see come out now is really high quality, and I think is setting itself apart from from our competitors. From William Adam's perspective, it really is the product support side of it the the service backup, the parts backup. You know, when the machine goes down, you need that up and running in a hurry. And 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 I think you know with the amount of dealerships and dealership locations and the amount of part support that we offer, I think that really is a competitive advantage for for the Caterpillar product.
0: I suppose I can probably add to that, Adam, because when I walked around your facility there, we went through and we saw all the field service software that you guys run and the oil analysis system. So you're constantly monitoring people's machines in live, real time. And if there's an issue, it seems to be you, you'll call the business owner and let them know about their oil samples, how they're trending. And... Uh, yeah, it's just second to none, that service and backup support.
1: Yeah, certainly been able to monitor machines these days and been able to monitor, I guess, what's what's happening real time in in the field um, and been able to either catch or correct an issue, whether it happens to be a product issue or an operations issue, to be able to ring the customer and say, hey, you've got brakes getting overheated, you've got an operator issue or been able to send out training for the operators, been able to fix or catch a mechanical issue before it fails so it's you know you repair an oil pump rather than rebuild an engine which certainly certainly saves you a huge amount of cost in in your own and operating cost should something go wrong definitely
2: Adam, it's only been about 20 minutes in our crew room. That's all we allow for, but I'm sure that you can, you and I could sit down for a whole lot longer and discuss <laughs> a whole lot more product and even get into a bit more of the family brand as well. But we really appreciate your time. I know our MD, Michael's just jumping at the bit to to have a chat to you and to, to hear your experiences as well. But thanks for spending just 20 minutes with us and next time we might have to make it an hour.
1: Yeah, no, thank you very much. I, I think it's you grow up in it and live in it all day, every day, you can be pretty passionate about it. So it's certainly it's certainly a good topic you could talk about for, for days. So thank you very much for having us along and, and look forward to catching up again soon. The Crib Room series of podcasts are produced by Industry Link Media. Subscribe to podcasts via your
2: audio platform and via industrylinkmedia.com. This is a Crib Room podcast.